Welcome to this episode of Studio B. I'm your host, Sarah Scott, and this is the episode about freelance musicians. Whether you want to be one or you're an independent or emerging artist, wondering how to hire them and how to pay them and everything in between. I don't have a lot of time for a big intro this week, so Weston Blatt, he is going to take it away, and then we're going to go straight to the show. A quick thing about Weston Blatt, he is a well-respected, well-rounded, and award-nominated drummer for many Alberta and Canadian country musicians, but we do talk about diversity, so he is perfect for this podcast. We welcome Weston Blatt into the studio. Take it away, Weston, and then we're going to go right to the show. Yeah. Yeah, I'm freelancing. This is episode six of Studio B. Make sure you learn those songs. <laughs> we are going to like push that so hard. <laughs> it's not complicated. That's all you got to do. Be a good hang. You know, be thankful. Be driven. Treat people fair. You'll do great. <laughs> Weston Blatt in studio. He is a freelance drummer for many, many musicians. Weston, welcome to the studio today. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks so much for having me a part of your podcast today. We love having you here already, even though we haven't got started yet. I am super excited about this one. We are talking about freelance musicians and how to hire them and all that wonderfulness. Weston, tell us about yourself. Sure. Well, I'm 25 years old. I'm from Lethbridge, Alberta. I've been doing this professionally for about five years now. It's been a hectic ride. It's been crazy. It's been great, though. Super humbling. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to cover this topic with you. So tell us how you fell in love with drums and how long you have been playing drums. Because you've definitely been doing it longer than you've been a professional. <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I fell in love with drumming at an early age, actually. I think I was four years old and I brought out my mom's pots and pans and uh, had the wooden mixing spoons and I would bang away on those and ice cream pail buckets and anything I could find to hit. I'm so happy she didn't kill me. Fast forward a couple of years from that, I remember asking my mom and grandma if I should play guitar or drums, and they both told me they watched a drummer growing up. So that actually solidified my choice in playing drums, and I got my first set at 9 or 10 years old. My parents brought me to this band's house in Lethbridge, and they taught me my ever first beat, which was boom, schmack, boom, boom, schmack. And we did about half a song with that. I remember the next day, I had this tiny little drum kit at home with one cymbal, and I added that symbol and that boom, schmack, boom, boom, schmack. And that was that changed my life. I never looked back from there. So that's a pretty cool thing. What was your very first show? I think I was 11. We did Whoop Up Days in Lethbridge. It's a festival that goes on every year. It was with a little bit older musicians. I think they were 16 at the time. We did a little bit of rock at the time. I mean, I grew up on country, but I also played rock. And we'll talk <laughs> about that later about versatility and diversity as musicians. But yeah, that was my first ever show, I believe. Do you remember the first song that you played professionally? Oh boy. We're yes, going deep. <laughs> actually, in front of people, the first song I ever had to learn was Whiskey in the Jar by Metallica. Oh my god. Yeah. Talk about rock. Yeah, it was pretty <laughs> heavy. You can't tell now, but... <laughs> Have you seen Dan Davidson's recent project? I love it. All those guys <laughs> oh are great, gosh. and when I heard he did that, what, what, that Megadeth? Yeah, yeah. I was like, Bluegrass? And then Billie Eilish. That one was hilarious. I know, it's great. Those guys are on to something, though. <laughs> <laughs> How many artists do you think that you have performed with? Do you know the exact number? I kind of ran through, I'm not going to lie, and kind of looked. I think it was 35 That's artists the last three years. 
two and a half to three years. So it's been, and I mean, they're from BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba. I play with MPI as well. So Julian Austin, Lisa Brokop, JD Bixby, Marley Scott, Chris Henderson, Darlene Toledo, Jerry Serretta. I didn't want to write all of them down, yeah. but those are some of the, the bigger names that I've had the chance to drum for. And it, I love those guys and girls dearly and thank them a lot for hiring me on those shows and taking me to where I am today. Definitely. Do you have any inspirations as a drummer, like who you look up to and who you want to be like one day? Yep. Uh, the list is really long. Um, <laughs> I'll name two that have really influenced me. Um, Rich Redmond, he plays with Jason Aldean. He's a Nashville session guy as well. Played on a bunch of number one songs. Kevin Murphy, he plays. he used to play with Randy Howes and I was with John Party. But Rich, I've been following for just about a decade now. I remember going home from high school, going to YouTube, going to his channel, watching every video he had and taking in everything, every drum clinic he's done, he's posted. And he had so much insight on the music side, the business side, and the personality side on how to be successful. I really soaked that in and followed him for a long time. And every live video he ever posted, I, I remember telling myself that's what I want to do one day. That's really cool. And if you had any musician in the world that you could play with, who would it be? Oh, that's a tough one. You know what? Jason Aldean, of course. His older stuff is great. But nowadays, I think it's Tucker Bethard. Oh, I haven't heard his name actually come up in a while. He's a great singer, songwriter. His dad, Casey, is actually a phenomenal songwriter, well-known in Nashville. He wrote songs for like Eric Church and a lot of big names. And yeah, Tucker, I don't know. I really love his voice. He's also a drummer, believe it or not. So he... He has that side of him as well, and uh, yeah, I'm a huge fan of his music. On his side note, I actually see a lot of drummers singing backup vocals with their bands, and I'm like, that has got to be really hard. Yeah, and (laughs) you know, a lot of people have been telling me, you should really work on that. I'm like, well, I haven't been a fan of singing myself. Fair enough. But harmonies, I would like to jump in on some harmonies. You one should day, do it. Try one it. day. I'll do my best, Sarah. <laughs> I just feel like it'd be really hard to do. Yes. I've, yeah. I've never done it, so I <laughs> guess we'll find out. I guess we will find out one of these days. So when you decided that you wanted to do this professionally as a freelance musician, when did you start hiring yourself out and how did you get your name out there? It started really May 2014. I did a showcase at Cowboys in Calgary with an artist from Lethbridge. And there was a host band that hosted the jam at Ranchman's. They were the other band actually that night. All their musicians, they were watching me. And after I was done, they came up to me. They told me, you should come out to the jam. We'll get you up, play a few songs, and we'll just get you playing around town. So I would drive up from Lethbridge. I was still living in Lethbridge at the time. Drive up in my 87 GMC half ton, which was a gas guzzler, probably 70 bucks round trip. Drive to Calgary, get up, play four songs, drive back home. Did that for a few months. And then one night, Brad Sims actually showed up to the jam he was playing in town. He liked what I was doing. He was talking to his guitar player too, Johnny Quickstead, and they hired me for the week after for a Rising Star competition. So it was only three songs. So Brad sent me those three songs. I learned them that week, showed up for the Rising Star. We got second, which was awesome for Brad. And uh, yeah, he started hiring me out after that. I remember we were in a hotel. I can't remember where it was, somewhere in Alberta, but he told me, he's like, yeah, word's starting to get out about you and it's it's all good stuff. And I remember being so excited about that and it kind of all snowballed from there. A lot of artists and musicians were reaching out to me a couple months after that. Yeah, it kind of led me to where I am today. So just the reputation, word of mouth, really took me to where I'm at. Yeah, and we're definitely going to talk about networking as a freelance musician as well and how that does benefit you in getting jobs 
jobs as a freelancer, especially if you're wanting to take it on full time. Absolutely. Yeah. And you are doing it full time. Yeah. For almost four years now. That is amazing. I don't hear that a lot, actually, these days. A lot of people are doing part-time jobs on top of their music gigs. So good on you. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) It's been scary, but... (laughs) are our expert freelance musician for this podcast today. (laughs) I appreciate that. This may seem like a weird question to ask, but I actually was learning about this kind of stuff, too. Is there a difference between hiring out a live performance musician and a session musician as a freelancer? To a certain extent, a lot of session players... In my experience, start out freelancing. Session players, of course, have to be top of their game all the time. You know, they have to show up to the studio, listen to the song first time through, have that chart, and get that song down one to two takes. So, I mean, it takes a lot of experience to be in that position. But, I mean, they do go hand in hand. I mean, you look at guys like Chad Melchert and Ben Bradley, they're like some of the top drummers in Canada, and they do both. You look at Nashville, for example, some guys, they're just session players. That's all they want to be. It's so it comes down to personal preference too, but I mean, to some some degree, it's the same thing because you're hiring a professional. Freelance is a different ball game, I guess, for all the travel, which a lot of guys don't like to do because they've done it before, right? Stuff, exactly, yeah. right. Either way, session player or freelance player, they will get the job done if they do a good job. If that makes sense. <laughs> if they do a good job, yes. Yeah. Well, you do a bit of both. You do live and session. Yeah, I've done a few sessions, which I love doing both. I love playing live. Studio work is also up there. It's just so great to create as opposed to just playing covers or playing somebody else's parts, which is also awesome. But any way to learn is the best way to go, in my opinion. And uh, yeah, session work, I'd love to do a lot more. You know, I got to record at MCC, which was great with Julian and done a couple other sessions too with uh, John Thiel and Chris Byrne for another artist from Lethbridge. So it's been great. I love doing both and would love to continue to do both as well. That's great. We'll get more into the topic of live performance versus session performances here in a couple of minutes, but we're going to start at the beginning. We're going to talk about how to really become an amazing freelance musician right off the bat. So the first question is, what kind of education should a freelance musician have I'm not saying that they need to have like an education that's formal per se because some people they've just been self-taught or they have taken lessons and they just really picked it up right off the bat and it's super easy or they have a bit of both but is there any degree or program or something unique that will make a freelance musician stand out in the sea of other musicians when an emerging artist or an independent artist, or even a big-time artist, is looking at them. Right. Well, I mean, education is not necessarily considered a make-it-or-break-it situation in becoming a freelance or session player. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, it does help in applying your skill set, but an artist hiring a freelance or session guy will not ask you, like, what kind of education do you have? When it comes down to it, it doesn't matter. You know, they're asking you to do a job and to do it well. So whether you have that education or not, it's your job to make that happen. Of course, there's tons, lots of great musical programs and institutions that will help advance your musical theory and knowledge. A lot of great successful players have education, and of course, it most definitely doesn't hurt. I'd say the most important thing when it comes down to it is being able to read music, Mm -hmm. whether it's notation or Nashville number system, which is used in all studios in Nashville And even up here, too, for a lot of country stuff, you know, it's important to be able to do that and to do it quick and to do it well. So I guess to answer this 
question simply is, um, you know, it's not necessary, but it is a valuable asset. Thanks for joining us for Studio B this week. My name is Sarah Scott, your host, here to talk about a really cool group run out of Calgary. They support both new and established writers right here in Alberta. You've heard Char talk about them quite a few times. They are Canada's largest independent songwriters group. They've been going strong for 16 years, which is super awesome. You probably know who I'm talking about. The Calgary Songsmiths. These guys are awesome. I've had the opportunity to go to two of their sessions, one on a regular Tuesday night, and then one was a summer school session with the Northern Pikes. And both times I was so inspired as not just a writer, but also as an industry professional. And I was so happy with what they are and have been doing for new and established writers, singers, songwriters, and emerging independent artists. They have workshops, resources, mentoring opportunities to perform, and educational sessions on different aspects of the songwriting business. There are no membership fees, and the sessions are open to all ages. They gather every third Tuesday of the month at Waves Coffee House in the Southwest 30 Springboro Boulevard Southwest. You can find out more details on their Facebook page under Calgary Songsmiths on Instagram or on Twitter and make sure you keep checking back for updates on sessions and events on their Facebook or Instagram pages as well. The Calgary Songsmiths keep doing what you're doing. I absolutely love it and I'm happy to get the word out for you. We both work in performance-based industries. Like it's based on performance and word of mouth, like you said, and good word of mouth. It's not just about the education. But when it comes to music theory and when it comes to learning what was, it was the Nashville... Number system. Nashville number system and all those kinds of things. That's super important. When you were learning, how did you do it? Tell you the truth, I would Google it. I would YouTube it. And and just talk to other drummers. Thankfully, a lot of the drummers, especially in Canada that I look up to, they've always answered any question I've ever had. Like, you know, Ben Bradley, Chad Melcher, Matt Atkins, Steve Broadhurst, they've always been there for me when I've had questions and walked me through everything. The Nashville Number System, I actually ordered a book from Jim Riley called Nashville Number System for Drummers. He's a drummer for Rascal Flats. As a chart for studio work, how to write, you know, notation out for pushes or diamonds, like stops and everything. Kind of self-taught myself to an extent and reached out to other drummers for questions about everything too. Do you recommend if someone is maybe not struggling but they're kind of having a bit of a hard time getting a position with musicians to maybe look at a program or a degree or courses? A lot of the musicians I've played with actually did go to school. Yeah and a lot of people went to Grant McEwen in Alberta which is in Edmonton. It does help but it won't Make it won't or break. get you yeah it won't get you gigs when it comes down to it it's it's just putting that work in the 12,000 hours in and uh doing your best to do that job for the artist cuz that's you know in the end what you're hired to do it is a performance based industry the path towards becoming a session musician begins with musical excellence and the truth is not all musicians are created equal, right? You know, only the very best instrumentalists and vocalists will ever work as really big time musicians or freelance musicians full time. And I'm not saying that's always the case, but how does someone become a session or freelance musician? How do they get the word out there that they are for hire? Well, we touched on that earlier. Yeah. You know, going to shows, to open jams, getting up to play and showcasing what you have to offer, just putting yourself out there 
the most important thing for starting out. Business cards help. Instagram, yes, social media, all that will help you. They're all tools in getting you on that path. Definitely have to just surround yourself with like-minded people, get out there, show them what you got, put in the time, own your skills, and uh, all the rest should fall into place. And on social media, we do see a lot of musicians, they put up videos. Do you think that's a good idea to put those kind of videos on their Instagrams, on their websites, and on their Facebook? Do you think that's really gonna help them out? Absolutely. I mean, it, it won't count for everything, but just let people know what you're up to and what you're doing and what you're working on. Any way to showcase your talent is valuable. I mean, social media is a huge thing, especially nowadays. You know, back in the day, you didn't have that. Thankfully, we do have a little bit easier. And then again, though, you do have more people coming up using that. So, I mean, I guess competition could be a little more intense these days. But yeah, social media is a huge game changer, especially when it comes down to artists mm -hmm. compared to, you know, musicians. It definitely helps, you know, letting your fans know where you're at or where you're playing, what you're doing, how busy you are. It, it really pays off. It really, really does. And uh, this is kind of where we can talk about diversity when it comes to being freelance. What's your take on that? Diversity of, you know, being a session player or freelance player is huge. Most musicians take the route of whichever genre they choose to work in. However, to be able to play all sorts of music is so important, whether it be, you know, blues, R&B, country, reggae, rock. It's extremely valuable and will allow you to continue to be busy as a freelancer session player. And I cannot stress that enough. So I would say, you know, listen to learn every genre possible, soak it all in, and it'll only make you a better player in the end. I think that really is great to say. And when it comes to being a freelance musician, when a, a singer-songwriter or a band, when they want to hire you, are there auditions? And if there are, what should be prepared for that audition? Personally, I haven't had an audition. They're more common, I'd say, for like the higher caliber established artists, like say for cities like Los Angeles and Nashville and some big groups in Canada. Uh, I wish I had experience with auditions and everything, but they do happen, especially like I said, for those, those high-end artists for, you know, when they're looking for musicians to fill a position. When it comes down to freelancing, there are no auditions that I've dealt with, and even rehearsals are super, super rare. So what happens is the artist, they'll send you the list of songs, you learn them on your own time, and uh, you have to do a good job because there's no rehearsal, you gotta show up. Hopefully the artists <laughs> play the songs like the records. And you hope, you know, the guitar player, bass player, the drummer, you know, you hope they learn the songs as well. Yeah, there's no rehearsal, so it's super important to do a good job on those songs, to have them charted out, memorized, whatever, how you, like however you do it, because you just have that one shot on that gig and if you don't do a good job like we said word of mouth you know reputation is huge and that will circulate and you'll start losing out on work you won't get the calls back and auditions although rare they they do happen well if you had to walk into an audition tomorrow for say jason aldean yeah how would you prepare yourself oh geez i'd probably leave here like asap <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah i have it tomorrow at like 12 noon bye yeah i would, I would go home i'd tell my family you know sorry <laughs> i got work to do I wouldn't stop drumming until I had those songs done, which is for any artist that I've been hired to play with. A lot of people say I over-prepare, but I'd rather have it that way than being under-prepared, right? Because nobody wants that. It looks bad, and you don't want to put that pressure on the artist to deal with that. I would chart out his stuff, and I would just probably play until my hands were bleeding or broke off or something, and then I wouldn't <laughs> be able to play the gig, but... Yeah, I think that's good. Just kind of memorizing that you're auditioning for. They'd hope that you know the person as well. Maybe yes. do some research on them, I would say, because they may ask you about that kind of stuff. I would also recommend maybe a portfolio yeah. prepared. Just make sure you are well rested. 
you at least look confident, you mm-hmm. know, because if you walk in confident and you act like you know what you're doing, you're probably going to play confidently and you're going to know what you're doing. You know, you got to believe in yourself. That's a big part of auditions. I used to have to do them for musicals and everything. And mine was just like confidence. I've already done this before. I I was one of those people that overprepared as well. I would sing the song until I had no voice kind of yeah. a thing. And I think that's a big one. And I know a lot of like bass players and even guitar players, they prepare days, days and days before a show and they do not stop playing. Yeah, (laughs) it happens. I love that though. It's great. I think that's the best way to do it. So if you are a singer, songwriter or a band and you do a lot of live shows, should you hire separate ones for each show or is it best to keep the same band all the time? For the artists, they feel most comfortable hiring the same musicians. A lot of them have a first call list. They're the first calls. If they are in demand though, the the players, it's tough to get them on all the shows. Of course, for the artists, it's great to have the same guys. A lot of times, though, they're used to hiring different guys for different shows. As a musician, it's also perfect to be playing with the same guys because it becomes tighter as a band as opposed to just playing the song, if that makes sense. Yep. So, I mean, it's a win-win for both the artists and the musicians that are hired. Of course, you look at artists like Brett Kissel and Chad Brownlee and they have their set guys. So a lot of that, you know, it can come down to having those players on retainers. Say Kissel gets a gig, his players take that gig, right? And they get paid, say, X amount per month to, to be on that retainer. I guess it depends how established that artist is. Smaller artists, they still, same thing. Everyone likes to use the same players if they can. It's very good in the sense of it kind of comes more fluid when you're on stage. You kind of know what to expect from everybody in the band. Absolutely, yeah. It just makes it yeah. easier. If someone is looking to be a freelance musician, would you recommend they start off with live performances first or studio sessions first? Kind of talked about that earlier. A lot of them start out with live. It starts out, say, from a young age in a garage with your buddies to getting yourself out there, doing a bunch of live stuff. I mean, the guys that are session players, they're, they're the top of the ladder, right? And I always look at everything as a ladder. As per anything for any career, you got to work your way up. A lot of the time, you know, you have to start from the bottom and put in that grind, those long hours of travel, practice, you know, loading in, loading out gear. It does suck. Especially for drums. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) You're telling me. A lot of guys start out doing the live stuff and then move on to session work. Sometimes they continue to do both. Sometimes they just go strictly to sessions. comes down to personal preference, too, of what they would like to do. Yeah, and from the sounds of it, they're probably going to start off live. Yes. And that's what they should expect. Yes. So in general, freelance musicians, they're hired by music contractors, producers, bands for film or video production to play whatever music is going to be recorded. How do they get hired? We kind of talked about this before with being on the first call list with word of mouth kind of a thing. But what phone call or what text or what email should a freelance musician expect and how do they do it? When they're looking for these musicians, like what do they look for? Well, yeah, like you said, you know, word of mouth is huge. I mean, there's also, you know, unions and everything too, like musicians unions that, I mean, we can talk about as well that have a list of musicians that, you know, say program directors or artists, they can search, say Calgary Musicians Union. They have all the members listed there. I wrote, you know, that way. But a lot of stuff, it, it's a people business. A lot of it relies on reputation. And it, it's actually crazy 
how much that goes around. And it's huge, huge for getting shows because, you know, you do a good job. One artist, he tells another artist, they tell their musicians, however it may go. They're hiring you to do that job, to do it well. And of course, having a good personality is huge. Oh, yeah, totally. We're going to talk about that as well. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to the unions, though, because I did actually read up on some of the unions, but it was a British site. So I'm like, I don't know how far this goes in Canada. Um, Let's go back to the unions because I think that's really important for people that are developing their skills, that are wanting to do this more full time, and that may even be looking for networking connections. How do people get involved and what are some of the unions? In Alberta, they they have one in Edmonton, they have one in Calgary. I believe a lot of major cities in Canada do have one like Saskatoon's. And I mean, it's all in relation to the Canadian Federation of Musicians. So unions, they'll have pensions available. It's not very expensive at all. And it's, it's a nonprofit organization. They have insurance for gear. They have the list of members. So if you're looking for musicians, you have that. And the list goes on. So nothing but good will come out of signing up being a member of your local music musicians union and of course you know for televised shows they offer you know wages for doing those televised shows and it's important to be a member of that sometimes it's required i remember when i did the indigenous music awards in winnipeg we had to be members of the cfm and of course when i did vegas too they correspond with the american federation of musicians you have to be a member to get temporary work visas to work in the states as a musician as well it's super important to be part of your local musicians union and just to support it. I feel like that's going to be super beneficial because like you said, it has a list of musicians, insurance for gear. Uh, It has pensions, which a lot of musicians probably don't get. Yeah. I would say like as well, the most common way of finding your desired employment per se is through like the informal musicians networks like you said and they exist in most music communities and all those kinds of things and you clearly have benefited from them yourself well I think what is also good too in the sense of getting your name out there and being a popular freelance musician is your name comes across not just to other musicians but to other industry professionals like if someone needs someone to come into the studio for a song and you're a good fit or even me in radio like I got you on Made in Alberta I know know? that was was so much fun too wait what you know like everyone i think you were the first freelance musician i had on the show but i know a ton of like session and freelance musicians now i think even a lot of people nowadays are looking at the performers behind the singers right as well i think they're really becoming more popular which is amazing you know now you kind of have an image to uphold Well, thanks, Sarah. (laughs) So what does a day in a life of a session or freelance musician look like if they are full-time employed as one? can be pretty hectic personally and for a lot of other musicians the days off during the week you know it's learning songs it's practicing and that will never end I mean a lot of guys they're so driven to be the best they can we're never really happy with ourselves with the way we play and it's a musician thing right we always push ourselves to be better so there's a lot of that and of course learning songs for upcoming shows that's huge for a lot of freelance guys it's massive that also especially personally it feels like it never ends it's a lot of work you know at home and then you know say travel days or tours most of the days and hours are spent in vans or buses with a bunch of smelly humans and it's it's it can be rough a lot of long drives loading in unloading sound checks organizing set lists the list goes on for that it pretty well consumes your time especially if you take it like if you're teaching per se during the week or even through skype you know there's so many different sources or of income i guess or revenue that you can surround yourself with with music and a lot of guys do that you know and even clinics drum clinics guitar clinics you know all that stuff it just really basically consumes your whole life like i said you know we're passionate about it so it it doesn't feel like work although it, it is 
is pretty insane, but we're crazy, let me tell you. It's definitely not like the nine to five job. It's more of like the eight till two kind yeah, of job. Yeah, especially you know? for the club stuff. I mean, a lot, a lot of studio stuff, you know, runs during the day. Of, you know, there's some time slots like, you know, 10 to two and four to six or whatever. And uh, yeah, it's a crazy lifestyle for sure. It's important to take time for yourself as well because it's definitely easy to get burnt out. We'll get to that in a second here. But I want to talk about actually the other sources of income because I know a lot of freelance musicians that do also teach. They do the clinics. They do a lot of songwriting even, you know. So let's talk about that for a second. So teaching, how do they do that? Because if they're on the road for a tour, they're kind of not always around for the for teaching sessions (laughs) exactly and thankfully for technology most guys do it through skype or online video maybe on days off they do come home i know a lot of the state stuff is like you know you're gone for four days or home for three kind of deal they always fit in that skype is a game changer for a lot of teachers and their students because you know wherever you are you can set up that lesson and and give her, right? Some guys too, you know, they have other jobs, like say they're changing oil or changing out tires or something, right? But yeah, it's definitely, it comes down to time management on fitting that all in. And of course, to still get the job done, right? Because that's, that's number one, really. Yeah, like you're hired out to do a job. Yeah. Just like any other job, you got to do well. Exactly. I mean, all at the same time, it sounds so strict, like you have to do a good job, but (laughs) It really comes down to you do it because you love it, right? But because you love it, you want to do a good job. So it kind of goes hand in hand. You can't ever lose that passion or that fire or else it just becomes work. Studio B was actually inspired by another show that I do that I am going to shamelessly plug away because it is what I love so, so much. And like I said, it was one of the main motivators for me to branch out and do this podcast studio b 9 a.m on saturdays and 3 p.m on sundays on 99.7 sun country or at 11 a.m on am 11:40, and you can also stream it live on hyperonline.com i am talking about the one and only made in alberta so sun country and am 11:40 and golden west they are a proud supporter of alberta country music and we love shining the light on our local music the other reason i'm bringing it up is because i want to say thanks to sun country for letting me use the studio to do the production of studio b right now i'm not just gonna pinpoint any genre music in studio b it's for all genres but made in alberta it is specifically for like country blues folk and some pop country and rock country and outlaw country and all that kind of stuff but make sure you join us made in alberta on the weekends you can check out uh, the sun country facebook or the highriveronline.com blog for more information on how you can also be a part of made in alberta if you have a new song or you have some awesome news you want to share or anything in between. Make sure you get a hold of me for Made in Alberta. Well, definitely for like other sources of income, like teach. You know, that's a good one is teach aspiring musicians and stuff like that. Don't be afraid to teach a younger generation how to be like you because it's not like they're going to try and take your job away from you. They just want to, you know, learn from you. Oh, exactly. And play with other people because by the time they get to a level of employment, like say 16, 17 and stuff like that, you're going to be at a whole other level yourself. So they're just going to be starting out. You're going to be doing a lot more shows and stuff. If you want to branch out, maybe try songwriting, do that is what I recommend. 
or if you want to have a full-time job there's no shame in doing that as well you know extra income you got to take care of yourself as a freelance musician like you work crazy hours you're doing a lot of thinking and it's mentally and physically in some cases straining so that burnout that you talked about how can freelance musicians avoid that you did mention time management but is there any other way eat healthy, work out, take care of your body and your mind and take the time to make time is what I've been finding lately. So easy to get carried away and, you know, to have a full calendar. It's great to see. It's super humbling. You know, you can only do it for so long because your body, it has feelings too, right? It's a, it's a well-oiled machine, but you run on the highway for so long, it's You'll, you'll run into some problems, right? Definitely eating healthy, recognizing what's going on, you know, how you're feeling and to take care of that as you're feeling. And of course, talk to people, right? There's so many musicians that go through it. And it's tough mentally too with crippling self-doubt a lot of us deal with, just not being happy with your plan, which is totally normal. And you just have to recognize that and realize it's normal. But yeah, the most important thing to avoid burnout, maybe sometimes take a weekend off. Your mind's your number one thing, right? You got to keep that healthy, so... And how do you tell your singer, songwriter, or band that you needed to take some time off? How much time advance should you give them so they can rebook somebody? You should definitely give a month. If possible, find a replacement. If it comes down to a point where it's that serious, in Canada, or at least in Alberta, we really only have weekends that we play, right? which is sad, but, you know, unless there's festival season or you're on a tour, a lot of the tours, you know, a lot of guys, they, unless there's a family emergency, you know, you push through, but if you land a long tour, say eight months and you're really struggling, I mean, everybody's human, right? But definitely a month at least is enough time to find a replacement if you haven't found one, but it's always good to give them some notice. Now, what if, and this is a worst case scenario, but it does happen, the musician ends up getting seriously injured or very ill or they cannot play for some reason like the day of or the day before performance how should a band or a singer songwriter handle that and how could they reach out to a freelancer last minute it comes down kind of to that first call list not from just that artist but the music community as a whole there's tons of pros, right? And they're used to filling in last minute. I haven't had that personally happen to me. I've had drummers that have backed out, you know, say two days before, which is obviously not good. They're all pros, right? They will show up. They will do a good job on short notice. You know, it might not be perfect or like the other drummer or musician, whatever it may be, right? Guitar player. Just reach out. And that musician's union too is huge, right? Going back to that. And yeah, just the whole community of musicians. It's like everyone's willing to help everybody out. Well, we'll go back to the question I actually had when we were talking about the unions. It just came to me. So for a singer-songwriter or a band, that union, can they also be a part of that as well to look up those people? Yeah. So most session of freelance musicians are trained and specialized in specific genres, but you said the diversity is really big. We already talked about that, but professional development, we talked about the burnout, we talked about the mental health, but professional development, how does a session musician or freelance musician keep up? Again, it comes down this, I mean, you're probably going to kill me here, but coming, you know, doing a good job, right? That's huge. And to learn the songs, be a good hang too, which is, we got to talk about that a little more too. Mm -hmm. Personality. Let's talk about personality. Talk about how that really does play a part. I mean, a lot of the times, believe it or not, personality comes before playing. Obviously, you have to be able to play, right? And to play well, to do your job. You know, say if you're on a tour, you don't want to be hanging out with somebody on the bus that's super negative. They're unhappy with everything or just flat out rude or bossy, right? So it comes down to the hang because 
you're spending more time with each other doing things compared to say the hour and a half on stage together, right? To show up and have a smile on your face and you know, to have your stuff ready to be prepared. It's just, it's huge. And the, the world's your oyster basically when it comes down to artists hiring you back or calling you back or getting your reputation out. That's, it's just massive. I can't stress that enough either. It's uh, personality is definitely the one thing you need to have. I also kind of feel like the artists themselves do have a part to play in that too, because the freelance musicians, you guys hear about them and who they are, and you guys can pick and choose who you want to play for, in a sense, if you're in that position too. The musicians and artists and bands themselves, they have to also have that personality that people want to play with. Of course, yeah. And it, it comes down, you know, from the top of the, the ladder, right? You know, if you have an artist that's easy to work with, treats his players well, takes care of you, nothing but good will come out of that. That leads down to your players being happy, your management, it's easy for them, right? You know, everybody's happy. It's just smooth sailing. Of course, yeah, playing with somebody, you know, that treats their guys well, it's, that's super, super important from the artist side. And take, making sure they get paid too, of course, right? Not only just the musician part, but the artist, they got to be treating their players good too. Because we definitely both have some stories that we're going to share. Yes. Later on about situations, no names are being <laughs> named. We can give them fake ones if we have to, but we both definitely have experienced that. But, you know, like if you have to for personal development, continue training, maybe go to those classes or programs, look up those clinics, those kinds of things to improve your performance and professional development throughout your working life as a freelance musician talked about practicing every day and performing a lot if you can and taking lessons with private music teachers if you have to kind of a thing would you recommend that of course yeah. yeah I mean the thing is you should never stop learning as a musician or even as a person in general in life that goes for artists too of course the key is you know the minute you stop learning is in my opinion the minute you're basically done right mm -hmm. I mean you have to be open-minded too for sure, you got to be able to take suggestions. Say if you're in a session, you know, they don't like what you did there. Be open-minded about it, right? Just learn from every possible situation. That really pays off, too. It's key in becoming the best you can be into to doing this professionally, of course, too. And taking it back to personality, like, you got to be reliable. Oh, yeah, on time, one. of course, yes. Yeah, so how would you recommend they always stay reliable? And, like, my notes here are, you know, turn up on time, like maybe turn up a little early so you have time to deal with traffic, train delays, parking, etc., those kinds of things. For being reliable, how important is that? I feel like I want to hone in on that because reliability is so huge in every industry. Of course, yeah. And I mean, nothing worse than, say, 10 minutes to show time and your bass player isn't there or something, right? It's like... I would be crying. You should, yeah, <laughs> sometimes stressful and they're like, oh, I'm on my way. Two minutes before you're supposed to play, they show up. You know, that's happened before. So being on time, being early is key, you know, especially studio work. Time is money. So you want to show up, you know, at least, say, half an hour early. If you have to set your own gear up, be earlier. Make sure it's in tune. Make sure it's good working condition. It sounds good. You have good gear. I mean, if you don't show up, you're done, right? There's yeah. really no turning back. And a lot of the times in the contracts that these venues are going to give you, they actually have a load-in time set yep. in the contract, which helps them out quite a bit. So I would recommend showing up during that load-in time. Like, say, dinner rush is done at 6, and they want you there at 6.30 to be ready for a 8 o'clock show. Yeah. I think that's a big one, too, is just look at the contract that you're given. It's going to give you a lot of details exactly. of what to expect. But also another thing when it comes to personality is you've got to deal with a lot of pressure. 
Like yes. a lot of it. You don't want to be that one that ruins the take when they're finally getting it right or ruins the show because you're not prepared. So you've got to be focused. And sometimes being on stage with a lot of people out there, you get nervous. You kind of get distracted because there's a lot going on. I mean, you're in the back as a drummer, so it might be a little easier to stay focused because the lights are like eh, in your face, <laughs> you know? And even the musician at front or the singer-songwriter, the lights are in their face and they actually say, I can't see past the second row. But how do freelance musicians deal with a lot of pressure on stage and how can they stay focused? Yeah, you, I mean, sometimes it's tough, but it is really high pressure, especially, you know, we talk about no rehearsals. I mean, say if you're going on a tour, of course you'll have rehearsals to get the show down, you know, transitions, all that stuff. There's been times where you fill in your first time playing with an established artist and they hire you out as a hired gun. You got to learn 30 songs. You go up, you're playing a festival with them. It's go time. It's like, you can't mess this up. I mean, of course, everybody's human, right? So little mistakes, sure, you know, they can slide. But if you train wreck a song, it's like, thankfully, I haven't been in that position myself. That comes down to being prepared, right? You absolutely have to be prepared. I mean, to deal with the pressure, you just have to be confident. Show up, know that you know the stuff and just own it. Because like, those people are there to see you, yeah. essentially. And they know that you're good enough to be on that stage. So they are expecting the best of the best, but also they know you're going to give them the best of the best. Exactly, yeah. So that kind of goes hand in hand, right? It, it's tough to not have pressure on yourself. Mm -hmm. You do it because you love it, and you love it so much that you don't want to mess it up. Yeah, it's we talked like about the, that before, for yeah. sure. But that is such a big one. All those hours you do at home, even growing up, they pay off in the end, right? So it's just that continuous learning curve that never ends. And it's just dealing with those high pressure situations. Put yourself in them is huge to throw yourself into the fire. You know, one, two, three, four, the song's in. It's go time. Just yeah. own it. And Well, actually, I know a couple of musicians that before they go on stage, they will actually play with the album of that musician or of that song and they play as if they're playing in front of thousands of people or yep. they're playing in front of hundreds of people or even just like five people you know or they'll make their family sit through a set you know exactly yeah but they act as if they are on that stage mm -hmm. have you done that before I mean, at home, I will play to the album and I picture myself playing the song with that artist. doesn't matter where it is, casino, festival, whatever it may be. I always like to do that and I get excited because I picture, say, if I have a girlfriend, I picture her out there or my mom or my grandma, right? It might sound funny, but oh. it really it really amplifies the excitement of really what you get to do. You're doing what you've always wanted to do and to picture, you know, the family or a big crowd, you know, it really helps in enjoying learning songs and doing freelance and yes, it may be hectic, you know, so much work goes into and whatnot. Yeah, no, that's totally normal for a lot of people to do it, I think. And I'm guilty of that myself. I wouldn't say guilty. I think that's just wonderful. We yeah. all do it. I think in any performance-based, like, situation like we're in, we all do that. I mean, when I'm on radio... It's going to sound cheesy myself, but I like to imagine if the guy I like is listening or yeah. or a musician that I'm really inspired by is listening or a radio DJ that I really like is listening. You know, I put myself in those shoes, too. So we all do it. Even the singer songwriters do it. You know, like I'm on stage and say they love like Terry Clark. They're going to imagine that they're in the crowd. And they're going to play as if they are. I recommend doing that so much. 100 percent. I agree. Yeah. Well, one last thing we're going to talk about personality is when people are looking for you like a personality thing also is being driven you know that's a big personality yeah. thing being driven enough to build and sustain your own network of potential collaborators and your own career have that drive to really want to do good 
Exactly. And I mean, surrounding yourself like-minded people is, is also huge. You surround yourself with that or you share the stage with those people, it only makes you a better person and player in the end. And to be driven is huge. Nobody wants to be on stage with somebody like, oh, you know, I suck. I don't want to do this anymore. You know, I had a bad night. It's like, if you made a mistake... Own up, own up to, to it. it. Move on, right? Jinx. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, we did. <laughs> I mean, as soon as you lose that passion, then why do it anymore, right? You got to keep that fire lit and surrounding yourself with even better players, right? Makes you a better player. I love doing that. I love throwing myself under the bus. I mean, Ben Bradley, I love watching him play. He's one of my favorites in Canada. Watching him play, it, it makes me even more driven. Or say if somebody compliments my playing, my drive goes up. 10 times as much because I want to keep improving. And that's super, super important. And I mean, artists see that, people vibe off that. I think that's very, very huge. You know, drive is a big thing. Uh, We're going to go back now to what we were talking about before with the artists and how artists also have a responsibility to their freelance musicians. Yep. I mean, it's important for them to have the material lined up, say within two weeks minimum, if possible. Have your set list with the keys of the songs. And if there are cover songs, please put the artist who did recorded those songs. Because, I mean, there's there's been used song titles, right? I've had that before where, oh, what was it called? Um, good Time. But it was by uh, Lady Antebellum, Looking for a Good Time. They just shortened it up. I thought it was Alan Jackson, Good Time. Mm-hmm. Of course, I, I asked the artist, right? Because I didn't just want to waste my time learning a song. You know, stuff like that. Have the artist down. If they're originals, put original. And Dropbox is a huge tool for hiring musicians because it's just so simple you upload the songs the mp3s even charts your musicians they then have the exact versions you're doing and that's another huge thing because i mean there's radio edit versions of say some cover songs or if there's anything you want to change per show say if you do a little medley or something it's important for the artist to mark that down right the less stress you put on your freelance players the less stress in the end the artist will have players will show up they're confident they're comfortable they have everything lined up you know set list order the keys of the songs any changes that were done and even some charts you know some artists do send out charts so yeah that's definitely the artist's job and like i said sound check times or even send the contract over a lot of artists don't do that because the finances of that contract travel time what hotel we're staying at all that stuff is just important for the artist to get out because the more information the better and it just makes it easier for everybody involved and you talked about two weeks in advance is a good time you know there's times like we talked about emergency stuff or maybe a show comes up two days i mean that it comes back down to not so much the education part but to be able to chart to read notation and whatnot for those last minute gigs there's 40 songs you might have to learn in two days i know nashville's really bad well i guess good for that or bad whatever way you want to look at it two weeks is definitely a comfortable time for freelancers to you know do a good job on the show what are the responsibilities of a freelance musician for the person who hired them out what should they bring as a team player we did talk about personality we did talk about being prepared but what are the responsibilities on stage as a freelance musician to just really enjoy it people watching the show if they see you all having a good time it's great because they they hear with their eyes right if that makes sense mm-hmm. so i mean if everybody's having a good time the crowd's having a good time I mean, you don't have to be flashy by all means, but, you know, just smile, go up to the front if you're a guitar player or something for a solo. Just have fun because when it comes down to it, it's your passion, right? Yes, it's work, but, you know, it, it is fun. 
And kind of like, you know how they say, read the room, like read the stage a bit. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If you look over and guitar player's having a bad night and he's really pissed off about <laughs> something, then it, you know, it wears off on you. If the artist is flustered, it's just like somebody makes a mistake. It's like, just move on. You know, we're, yeah. we're good. We're no train wrecks, right? It's just, it's fine. Don't ever get mad unless somebody really like does something really bad like but for the most part the audience doesn't really know the mess up unless it's really really yeah big. unless like i say it's a train wreck that's a common term for <laughs> yeah for us yeah no thankfully i haven't been a part of any train wrecks personally or like literally so that's good <laughs> but um you know mistakes happen as long as you just do the best you can do that's all that's asked for and to have fun and doing it you're there to make the audience happy. That's what you're paid to exactly. do. Exactly. Yeah. That's so 100% fun. correct. We'll talk about train wrecks in a second. Sure. Uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about getting paid now because getting paid is a big thing. You actually mentioned this. The musician won't share the contract right away with the freelance backing band because of finance things. I don't understand that. That seems weird to me. The thing is, if you're, say, an established artist, you make X amount of dollars per show. Sometimes the artist shares what they make a show. At the same time, it's really none of our business. That makes sense because as musicians, we kind of have our set rates, right? So, I mean, if we're happy with what we're getting paid per show, it really isn't any of our business, right, of what the artist is actually making. And that's when it comes down to artists treating their musicians fair, right? Mm -hmm. So we shouldn't have to want to know what they make. You know, as long as we're getting treated well, we're getting paid on time, we're getting paid, period. It's just something we don't really need to know, if that makes a little more sense. Yeah, but. it does. Yeah, if you're happy and you know it, hit your drums. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know where that came out of. That's um, a good one. <laughs> how should a freelance musician ask to get paid? As in, like... Per, like, what Yeah, like, form? If, so sometimes the musician will straight up tell them, here, I'm going to pay you right after the show or yeah. with cash or check or stuff like that. Like, I mean, like that, how should a freelance musician ask to get paid from the artist kind of a thing? If, they, if there's going to be a delay, the artist will tell their band or their musicians they hired. A lot of times that's how it works. Most of the time, the artists are super great with paying their guys right after, whether it be by check or by e-transfer, some cash gigs, right? You move up the ladder, though, with more, like, higher caliber artists. It's usually check, you know, or e-transfer, something that is trackable, right, when it comes down to taxes and expenses and whatnot. If the artist hasn't paid you yet and they haven't said nothing and say it's, I give them maybe four days max, because, you know, maybe if they deposit a check, the bank holds it, right? So that's understandable. But if it's longer than four days, then shoot them a text or a call. Be like, hey, man, Maybe it's a, a lady, right? You know, just be like, yeah, hey, what? Say, man. Hey, man. Yeah, like, what? I call ladies dudes. <laughs> <laughs> like, maybe, like, say, what's going on? Because, I mean, we, we do rely on this. This is our livelihood. So we got bills to pay. So it's important. It goes for anything. Like, it's so overlooked as musicians or even performers that, oh, you know, they're just doing it as hobbies, right? It's like, no, this is a career. You know, we, we pay our bills with this stuff. You know, any other job, they don't delay in yeah. payment unless something dramatic happens and as for the artists hiring the same musicians like we talked about that's key too mm -hmm. you know you treat your players good they're always going to want to play for you no matter what well another part is too as you get bigger and bigger in your career or more and more experienced how much do freelance musicians know how much to get paid how do they assess their value as a freelance musician whether they're we're talking about musician and independent artists here because i've actually been asked mostly from a singer-songwriter that was hired out to be a freelance guitar player for a musician, he asked me, how much should I ask her to pay me? How can these freelance musicians assess their value? I mean, pay rate, it's a 
kind of a touchy subject. For, we're getting open here. This is yeah, <laughs> we're we're busting the doors wide open. It, it is. It can be touchy, you know, from musician to musician. It comes down to your experience, though. As for the artist, like we talked about reputation, that leads to what pay rates the artist should expect to be paying that musician. So it comes down, like I said, word of mouth again, and the experience that musician has. If they've done shows, say, with Gord Bamford, I'm, I'm keep naming these Canadian artists, but, you know, like the higher-end artists in Canada, of course they deserve more, right? You know, they put in that time. They've done all that work, right? And they show up. They do a great job. They have songs charted and everything. So, you know, it all comes down to that. It's putting in the time and then the money side goes hand in hand. Like the relationship is so strong with that. I mean, a lot of musicians, they, I would say, charge 300 to 450 a night, right? As a freelance person. Mm, that Okay, I'm going to take you back a bit on that because I was talking with another freelance musician. He mentioned about to start off, if you're like brand spanking new, and I've heard freelancers talk about this too. And I'm not saying 300 or 400 bucks a night is a bad number, but I mean, that's awesome number to be honest. I'd love to ask for that for this. Um, <laughs> but he recommended and he said probably about 150 to 200 depending on the gig and for like 15 minutes like 50 bucks yeah i mean since we're busting this door open because this is definitely like i said a touchy one yeah this is the one that i'm always scared to talk about the financial part of things yeah because we'll talk about undercutting in a minute here but like i said you have to have that experience to be charging that much so I'm talking from like a professional standpoint, like if you are experienced, that's what you should be going for. That's usually what the rate is from people I've talked to that are up there. So 300 to 450, that's a that's fair price plus travel, plus oh, yeah, accommodations, like per right? and stuff yeah. like that are definitely in that number. But I'm talking people that this is like their third gig. Yeah, and I mean, that's the thing. You can't be expecting to get paid that much, you know, when you're starting out. Just talking to the artist, right? If it if it's your third gig, they know it is. Talk to them, ask them what it pays. Me starting out, I would take what the gig paid as long as it was fair in my standards, right? So say, oh yeah, you know, I'm starting out, so I'm not deserving to make so-and-so dollars at this point in my career. But as you move up and the busier you get, you have to hold yourself valuable, right? Or else you're you're overlooked. Like I've heard stories, you know, in the States, Brett Eldridge, he was looking for a position to fill. I think it was a guitar player and the management asked the guitar player how much he charges per night. And uh, he said, oh, you know, 400 bucks. And they said, oh, that's too bad. We're looking for somebody that is asking for a little more. Oh, wait, what? Yeah. I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting someone less. <laughs> yeah, no. So, I mean, to hold yourself valuable is so important. You know, as soon as you start undercutting, like especially as you become more experienced, if you're still, you know, charging 150 or 200 bucks for a night, you know, you're undercutting the people above you that have been working longer at that because you're, you know, you're coming up the ranks. You're undercutting. So, of course, it's a natural human thing to take the cheaper route. It trickles down to ruining it. You're wrecking the credit of musicians who put in all those hours, like the blood, sweat and tears to be asking for that. You're taking that away from them. Because now you're stealing that work because you're going in for less. So it's like any business, it's, it's touchy, like I said. And it's a common thing. You know, I hate to say it, but there's a lot of that stuff going around. Oh, I'll play for less if you hire me, right? It can be pretty greasy out there <laughs> for sure. But you definitely have to hold yourself valuable because you do this for a living. Like this is like you pay your bills with this. You've got to fare to others, you know, so others can be asking that that deserve it, right? You can't be going in for 
for cheap. We do have a whole other podcast just before, a couple of podcasts back about finances, how to budget, how to do all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So we're not going to talk about that. But one thing we didn't talk about is the salary of a session musician on average. Like what can they expect a year? Because you said it's got to pay their bills, you know. I'll ballpark it, of course, because it varies depending on the artist or the musician. Sorry. It's safe to say the most pros and freelancers, session guys, whatever, if they're doing both, I would say... 30 grand to 45 grand a year. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to like... This, this is what, what you make. need to have, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, you know, that's definitely fair to say, you know, especially if you incorporate yourself, you have, you have GST, right? Because taxes are super important too. This is a business. Like yeah. you do not want to get in trouble with the CRA <laughs> or the IRS if you're in the States. So, I mean, to claim everything, you know, keep track of everything, receipts, all that. Like you said, you guys talked about finances in a different podcast. You know, if you're doing a bunch of session work in the States or you land a headlining tour, say with Luke Bryan or Jason Aldean, I've heard like a lot of the guys that can make up to 70 grand a year. And I mean, that obviously includes, it can include teaching, you know, just different sources of income still in relation to music though, you know, putting on clinics. Like there's so many sources of income that you can put yourself out there to accomplish and to achieve. It's a business, it's a career, you're an entrepreneur in a sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like I said, it's overlooked by so many that it's just a hobby and that, you know, we just do it for fun. But no, this is, of course, we love it. We're super lucky, but we have to take care of ourselves and this this is how we do it. Uh, Well, there was an incident that I actually witnessed firsthand where a musician was doing a show based on... I don't know exactly what the situation was. They tried to explain to me. I think he was supposed to get a certain amount from that venue, but he didn't. And he was basing his show on gigs. And he promised each one of his musicians $300 a night. And I'm like, that is going to be literally, God, I think it was 1200 bucks in the end, at the end of the night. And this guy is brand spanking new. Needless to say, where I'm going with this is he never got the venue to pay him out because the show ended up... It still happened, but it was back in April when we had that massive snowstorm. There was like 10 people there. The venue didn't pay him or something. I can't remember what it was. Or they didn't give him what they said they were going to give him. And he just paid the musicians based off tips. And one of the hired musicians, which was a bit of a last minute decision, didn't get paid what he was told he was going to get paid. And he got a bit frustrated. And he's like, I'm never playing with them again. But it just like shit happens sometimes, you know? So how could someone deal with that when... Shit happens, you said, if there's a delay in pay, let the musician know. But what if that musician kind of like screws them over a bit or they don't, they aren't able to pay what they said they're able to pay? Like, has that happened and how do they handle that? Yes, it's, it's happened a couple of times, actually, from personal experience. The important thing is for the artist, though, is like, like, it, was there a contract in place? That's super important when dealing with venues and stuff. Because, I mean, if there's no legally binding obligations, the world's a nasty place. Bars or whatever, booking agencies, whatever promoters, they just, they want to make money, right? Yeah. A lot of times entertainment is just considered a, a plus, I guess. But um, yes, I, I've dealt with that before where the artist hasn't got paid what they said they would get paid or if there was a slow m- night at the door. It sucks for the artist, but at the same time, you're hiring musicians. You're not a band, right? You're hiring out hired guns and those musicians need to get paid regardless. I know it sucks for the artist. You have to take hits sometimes. It's tough to deal with. You might be out 1200 bucks out of pocket. You know, I just had a, a female artist reach out to me lately. One of her gigs got canceled. She was asking me what to do because she was about to lose out. I think it was $2,100. That's a big chunk. For sound 
and to pay her musicians in full, right? And I was trying to think of other route she could have taken but i told her i'm like just try finding a different gig somewhere like i'll help you out call some places even if you end up having to pay a hundred dollars extra on top of what you said you would pay it's less than 2200 right i've also had another one where the venue didn't pay at all so the artist actually paid out of pocket that's good that the artist did that though yes and when it comes down to artists like i said treating their players fair that's massive of course i'll still play for that artist right he Mm -hmm. paid us out of pocket you feel bad but then again you have to make money you know it really is tough but sign those contracts is important to have those in place and i mean if the the venue cancels you have that signed by both parties right i mean you can go to court yeah it's a long process I mean, it's tough for the artist either way yeah. to lose out money, but... This may seem like a super silly question, but kind of legit at the same time, should freelance musicians make a contract for themselves with certain artists? That's actually a very good idea, honestly. Um, a lot of guys don't do it. It's crossed my mind a couple of times with a, with a few artists that are pretty uh, shady. Like, you know, they'll book players for a gig and then four days out, they're like, oh yeah, it's a no-go. You know, stuff like that, it's like, that'll, that'll get around though. So the artist, you know, that's their problem. But definitely a good idea. If that artist has a bad reputation for doing that, it's like, of course, that wouldn't hurt to do that. A lot of people don't do it, like I said, but that plays your end safe. It's tough for live music, as I'm sure we can all tell. You know, gigs are falling mm-hmm. through and uh, venues aren't booking bands anymore or artists, and it's tough. So definitely nowadays, it's something to think about. That actually answered my other question I was going to ask about. Do freelance musicians still get paid even though a show isn't happening sometimes? Yeah, I mean, usually it's half courtesy of, you know, treating your your guys right, right? Yeah, exactly. So before we get on to some of your personal experiences, including not getting paid, train wrecks, and everything in between, um, because those are always fun to talk about, you know. (laughs) You are listening to Studio B. Thanks for listening. My name is Sarah Scott. Just wanted to pop in and say hello, and thank you for listening, and we really appreciate it, and I hope you are enjoying the program. Let's get back to it. What is the single best suggestion you could give someone wanting to get in this career as a freelance musician? I would say the number one thing is like I've said a million times before in this podcast, (laughs) is to learn the songs, have a great personality, do your homework at home, practice on your own because you show up to a gig or a studio session, it's not a time to rehearse. It's not a time to practice. Like you you need to have those those hours put in. Rich Redmond, back to the guy I look up to, he always says you need 12,000 hours to be an expert at something. And that, that really stuck with me. All the hours learning songs at home, even playing live that all adds up it makes you a better player you know and to walk in play confidently know the songs that's just it's number one it really is no matter what and to do it with a smile on your face is 100 percent better you don't have to be the best player you show up though you have the songs down you do a good job great personality i mean you'll get that gig over the next guy who comes in says negative or you know he's a jerk best player in the world but just not a good hang it's like they won't keep that gig Mm -mm. because like i said it's a people business too right and you have to be able to want it too because not an easy road a lot of musicians after it it's not easy if you lose that fire it's you got to get out of it it's not like you have to be mentally tough 
because mm-hmm. there's a lot of no's. Yeah. But your favorite word has to be yes. Actually, well, Shard says his favorite word is no because it pushes him to go farther and do better. So. Well, that can be <laughs> yeah. too. He likes to put a positive spin it on a negative word. Yeah. <laughs> this one's an interesting question because I feel like, you know, people make mistakes trying to get into this career. But what is like the number one mistake you may have witnessed with people trying to make it in this career as a freelance musician? Being shady, being not a good person. I know it's kind of bad choice of words there, but being negative. <laughs> Don't be a bad human. <laughs> yeah. Not doing your homework or just mailing it in. It really is unacceptable. You know, you're getting paid to do that job. Think about the artists, right? They put in so much work too. The musicians you're playing with, they've done the same amount of time learning the songs, if not more. You almost want to over-prepare and make those other players better too. So then the next gig you have together, they know you're going to come in and you're going to know a song's better than, say, the artist, that, that wears off on the, on the musicians too, right? That's a huge mistake too. A lot of people don't really pay attention to is just mailing it in on those songs. It's like, learn them. That's what you're paid to do in the end. Mm-hmm. The best way to put this, and it's kind of another analogy in a sense, is like there's a lot of people that are like paper pushers. They're working at a desk job nine to five, and yeah, they went to university or college for it or tech school for it, and they're just like, oh my God, I have to go to work every single day. Like you see those memes about like me waking up on a Monday morning and they look like shit, they don't want to kind of a thing, or they just hate their job in general, even though that's what they wanted to do, quotation marks. Yeah. But I feel like in these performance-based careers, whether it's a freelance musician, a singer-songwriter, radio DJ, we are so lucky to have jobs that we love. You're getting paid to do a job that you love. And in radio and as a freelance musician, yes, we're in the background. We aren't super noticed all the time, but we still love it and we still get paid to do it. So let's do it properly and let's do it right. And I think a really big one is really own your value. You know, say this is what I'm worth and I have to own up to it. I mean, you have to still be, I'm here to play the game. I'm here to be a team player. I'm here to make you look good no matter what. You know, like, yeah, you want to get paid more. Like, yeah, you want to get noticed more. Yeah, you're sick of being undermined by so-and-so. Be nice about it, you know? Have a real professional conversation. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, some, even some musicians, you talk about some artists or even bosses being shady, you know, some workers per se or musicians, I mean, they're just as bad, right? I've heard stories where people would take pictures of their checks and then it would deposit, obviously online banking, mm-hmm. and then go in and deposit a check. And I don't know how it went through, but he got paid twice. And the artist found that out. And of course, you know, stuff like that, you'll never get the call back. It's like, it's simple. It's really... What an idiot. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Straight up. Like, what an idiot. <laughs> but I mean, like I said, I mean, there's some there's some shady people in this, in any business, of yep. course, right? They just, they're out for themselves. And that's, you got to be a team player, like you said. All right, we're going to talk about your experiences now because I've definitely gotten some texts from you and I've seen your Facebook posts. Um, Let's talk about the train wrecks first, though, because I feel like those are fun to talk about. Have you ever witnessed an absolute train wreck on stage? Yes, yes, where they've had to start the song over. It's embarrassing as players, but humiliating for the artist. You see that and it's like, oh boy. And actually, that just reminded me, I have been a part of that where the artist changed the key of the song but had the wrong key on the set list. So, of course, the guitar player looked. I counted off. Well, he's in a different key. And I might have been higher than what the artist wanted it. And the, But the bass player remembered what key the artist wanted it in and didn't look at the set list. <laughs> it was bad. The bass player eventually followed the guitar player. And the singer had to try singing higher. I remember playing. I'm like, ooh, <laughs> this is nasty. And he actually turned around. He just went like, cut. Whatever. It, stuff like that happens. It's oh. part of what we do. 
And most um, audiences are forgiving. Yeah, and it's how you deal with it. He turned around. He was like, I think he started a different song right away, like one that everybody knows. It might have been Cadillac Ranch or something like that. He, he just said, okay, here's a line dance song, you know, something like that. So it's how you recover, really. I haven't caused train wrecks, which is... <laughs> A good thing. That's, yes, I never want to be in that situation. I feel bad if I, say if I miss, I, I'm big on learning the songs like the record. And if I forget a fill or something, I'm so hard on myself. Or, you know, if I, I mean, I play to a click track too on all my shows too. And it's, you know, if I'm not feeling well that night and it's just like the tiniest thing, I'm so hard on myself where I'm like, I need to be better. Or the worst thing is when the artist, it's okay to mention to the musicians you're doing the song different. Man, that is the worst thing is when the artist is not confident. This is my biggest pet peeve. I'll, I'll throw this out there. I always watch the artist. You know, that's important for any musician. You know, I'll even watch guitar player's foot. If I'm filling in for this artist, but the guitar player's played a bunch, I always watch her foot. If they go up to their pedal, I know a solo's coming up, even if it's not supposed to in the recording. So, you know, just to be like aware of what's going on around you and watching the singer is always, sometimes they cut a solo off and they come back in and say a breakdown chorus right after the solo. They step up to the mic, you know where it's going to go, right? The worst thing, this is my pet peeve, they step up to the mic, but they're not confident and they step away. So you break down to that chorus. Well, the guitar player is still soloing, right? And it's like, it's minor, but to have confidence from all the players is huge. That's the interesting, we can kind of go back on the being focused on stage too. Yes. Also focusing on the other musicians and what they're doing because that Absolutely. is like a telltale of what, is coming up in case if something does change last minute. Like yeah. the artist decides, yeah, why don't we throw this in here? I feel like that's going to fit, you know? Yeah, exactly. And a lot of artists are really good with cues, actually. You know, they'll kind of do like the roundup sign to like keep going. It's perfect. You know, we really appreciate them doing that. So artists, just be good on stage. I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> just be it comes good on down stage. to you, artist. The artist also needs to be confident, so their session musicians need to be confident. You're all positive. You're all confident. You're all, you all good know to the go. stuff is game on. So there was one instant that we did talk about it was many many months ago but you no longer play with this musician because of it they didn't pay you that was between a couple of people actually crazy how the heck did that happen because he gave you a salary or something or he paid you out per show yeah he he didn't advance so how does that work and what happened in that situation how did you handle it in case if this happens to another freelancer well what what happened (laughs) it's kind of a long story but we got all the time so why not So what, what happened is he gave me an advance because he paid by check every month at the end of the month. I told him at the start, this was not going to work for me. Say if I'm booked with you a full month, I'm not getting any income till the end of the month. And he does it by check. And my bank, well, you know, they, they hold checks sometimes, right? So it's a double-edged sword. I was like, this sucks. Mm-hmm. And then this sucks even more. So he agreed to give me an advance after a couple months, which was for seven months, $300 a month. So that ended up being 2100 Per paycheck, depending on how many shows we had, whatever the amount was, he would just take 300 bucks off, put it back. So I guess it's kind of like a loan, right? So I was like, great, that sounds awesome. I would also fill my other weekends too with other artists. Yeah, everything was going good until September hit. My last gig with him was the middle of September. I was thinking in my head, why doesn't he just write me a check now? This makes no sense. Like it's my last gig of the month with him, could write me a check. He can post date it, sure, whatever, right? That never happened. So the end of September rolls by, going into October, I still haven't gotten paid. He hasn't reached out or nothing. Week and a half passes by, still haven't heard nothing. So I text him. I was like, hey man, just wondering, you know, what's going on? Like, when can I expect to receive this check? And then I I was a little bit frustrated. So I said, it's not my job to drive down two and a half hours to uh, my hometown. I won't say, uh, I mean, you guys (laughs) remember, to pick up my money, right? And it's, it's not 
anyone's job to bring that check to me. I'm like, why don't you just e-transfer me and I'll send an invoice. It takes two seconds. Exactly. And most artists do that. If they e-transfer, you know, the, the musician sends an invoice. But no, that wasn't flying with him. So I was gigging with the bass player the following week. So now it's almost, yeah, I think it was October 20th. I still haven't gotten paid from September. Phone bill, all that stuff. It's like, and this was $900 I was expecting. So it's not much for the month, but that also included the $300 deduction, right? To pay back that advance. So I kind of lost it. I said, listen, man, this is like not cool. It's been almost a month and a half. Still haven't gotten paid. I'm like, this is not the bass player's job to bring this check to me. I can't believe you can do this to somebody. I'm like, I got bills to pay. This is this is unfair to myself. And uh, I told him, I said, how about we play out November? I had five shows with him booked in November. We pay back that advance. I would still make $1,500 in November, regardless with him. He agreed to it. Following week, well, actually on that gig, when I received the envelope that was supposed to have my check in it, mm-hmm. it was a letter saying thank you. Oh, yeah, thank you for your services. You're done. So November, I got asked for gigs and I was booked with this artist. So I had to turn them down. You know, a week and a half out of November to cancel all my dates with that artist. I was so frustrated and mad at that fact. So, well, I mean, long story short, we, we end up being even on that advance from my September pay. But, you know, November, I had $1,500 worth of gigs that are now gone. So now I'm out 1500 bucks from November, right? And it was too short notice to get those gigs back. I messaged those artists who asked me and they already found different players. So, you know, I was out in November due to this artist. And I mean, you can't go back on your word for something like that. You know, especially I've had those dates in my calendar for so long. I've never been so mad in my life. And I, I don't like, you know, holding grudges, but that's something I won't ever forget. I definitely won't ever play for that artist again. And yeah, I mean, just behind the scenes stuff too. It was, it was unenjoyable. Like, like we talked about surrounding yourself with like-minded people, right? It's, it's huge. And I, I wasn't enjoying it near the end. So that's why, you know, I said, let's play out November. That gives them a month to find a different drummer. Mm-hmm. You know, I lost a good chunk of change, change there. Yeah. Um, another one is about a venue that completely just screwed a bunch of people over recently. Yes. And they're continuing to do so. We'll talk about ranchmans for a second, but I'm going to go on a bit of a rant before we discuss how to find a solution for the problem, in a sense, how we always do it here. I'm so mad at them right now because they continue and continue and continue to win these awards with the CCMAs, with the ACMAs for Country Venue of the Year. But over the last two years, even though they have continued to win these awards, they have dropped music like flies. They haven't played a lot of female artists. They treated their musicians like shit essentially what I've heard from a lot of people in your opinion and yeah people might not have you on Facebook on here so in your opinion how do you feel about this as a freelancer when these venues do that to these musicians it's super super frustrating because you know we we bank on dates right I mean a lot of us we've had those dates you know with certain artists there five months in advance put those in our calendar you know other people ask us for those weekends but oh that's one thing actually going back sorry mm-hmm. sarah that's okay about booking mm-hmm. and everything we didn't talk about that what is the best way to do it and how should artists be doing it sooner the better for the artist booking the musicians of course if they want the players they want they have to be on top of the game so as soon as they get those dates for a venue they usually reach out right away i mean the musician 
side of things, back to reputation, you have a gig marked in your calendar. You have to hold that almost as like a first come first serve. You know, unless something huge comes up, always talk to the artist to see if you can switch that out. If you do have to, a lot of artists don't like it. It's important to find a replacement for that artist if you are going to swap out and at least give a month. But yeah, it's important for the musician, you know, to hold a reputation. It's not only doing a good job, but it's also holding your dates with those artists, you know, keeping them in. So, you know, if you're booked on a date, somebody else asks you for a different gig. I mean, you can't just pick the better option, right? Unless it makes sense. Say if it's like Jason Aldean or something calls, you know, the artist should understand that, right? But yeah, it's important for musicians to hold their dates and be accountable and reliable, right? On those dates. Fair, right? Oh, exactly. Yeah. You know, it's got to be a mutual thing between the artist and the musician. They treat you well, you treat them well. Uh, so back to ranchmans. Yeah, the whole ranchman situation is super frustrating. Like I said, you know, we hold these dates for, say, five months. You know, in four days out, they cancel. We lose out one quarter of our pay for that month. You know, so is the artist. We, we're all counting on this. We budget around the gigs we have booked for upcoming months. For them to do something like that to win, you know, country venue of the year at CCMAs, that's the highest, like, recognition in Canada for a venue owner, you know, or anybody nominated. And let alone, you know, winners, they got to be more professional about that. They've been that way for a long time with treating artists and musicians, even when the Dvorkins owned it they sold it a couple years ago after harris died you know rest in peace harris honestly you know the new owners they've really run it to the ground you know they've owned a couple other bars in calgary nightclubs and that and they kind of brought those to the ground too so you know it's only a matter of time as soon as they started taking it over and then cutting the bands down cutting the pay so now they have local rotation going on and it's like you got to bring in other acts to keep people interested like you can't have the same artists aren't djs they're not jukeboxes they're they're working hard at this they want to be their their own artist right and it kind of goes back to what you said about some artists think that these freelancers are doing it as a hobby these venues think that these musicians are doing this as a bar gig as a hobby and a lot of the times that's not the case or sometimes it's not a hobby but they do have a full-time job as a professional or whatever they're doing and this is their weekend gig but they're still aspiring to be a good musician this isn't just a hobby for them this is a passion for them which also people could argue say well i i don't know what a passion could be for somebody oh i love working out but i'm not getting paid to work out you know yeah. so these musicians they're doing what they love and it's their passion so like why are they getting paid that much or something but what a lot of people don't know as well is these musicians aren't getting paid a lot they're not getting paid but a lot of people think they're probably getting paid you know they're getting paid a lot less these musicians aren't getting paid as much as people think they are they try dropping the pay quite a bit when they cut down to that rotation you know and some artists were willing to do it and then you look at the other artists that play there a lot that are asked to come back you know and ranchman's goes well you know so and so is coming in for less than what you are so we we just can't pay you that and i know a lot of the artists took a stand against them collectively Mm -hmm. and they said listen we got to get x amount we cannot play for what that one artist is playing for it's like it can't happen like and that's when it comes to holding yourself valuable, right? Mm-hmm. And as an artist and a musician, it's like it shows right there that management and even artists, they'll take the less pay, right? It is business from both sides, but still, it's like we got to keep live music around. Everyone relates to music no matter where they are in the world. And yet we get so much disrespect for what we do, which kind of it really makes no sense. I'm still trying to figure out where everything went wrong. 
we look at people recording on songs, we look at people performing songs live, they put their heart and soul into it, people love it at home. You know, they listen to music every single day, they hear it in commercials, on TV, whatever, and you know, yet nobody shows up unless it's a big artist. Even smaller venues that have live music, it, it really feels like, you know, doomsday's coming because, <laughs> you know, it, it really sucks. Well, I mean, back to Ranchman's, you know, I'm also kind of super disappointed because that's where I started. You know, that's really what kicked off everything for me. And, and I mean, I, I will thank them for that, for giving me that opportunity, that jam, right? If it wasn't for that, I probably wouldn't be here with you yeah. <laughs> today. So, I mean, I thank them for that, but it's just super disappointed. It's just the, the way the road goes, Sarah. <laughs> 